Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, August 30th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, API grab bag. We're going to talk about everything from programmable light bulbs to making the internet work for you to fat Maggie. <laughs> Stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. You're going to give that kid a complex. Yeah, seriously. She's going to be a chunker. <laughs> Not even born yet. <laughs> She's already trouble. Yeah. She knocked over my wine tonight. <laughs> Did she? We had kind of an emergency situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Cooper pooped in the tub. Oh. And uh, <laughs> Code Brown. <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know, the kid's three and a half, and it's the first time I've had to uh, deal with this sort of a thing. Kira only did that once too. Yeah, there's the there's not an obvious protocol for dealing with the situation. I found there's myself not. just staring at the tub for a solid thirty seconds, thinking, like, "What do I do? <laughs> do I drain it? Do I scoop it? Do I barehand it?" You know, like what I like, you know, I was going to get all Caddyshack on it. (laughs) It's not, it's not obvious what to do. So I, you know, so I was like, well, what am I going to, I got to, I'm not going to barehand it. I'll try (laughs) scooping it because I didn't want to just drain it. Yeah. So the the closest scoop like object (laughs) was a dustpan. (laughs) And uh, I mean, I barely had two inches of the dustpan into the tub before it created this like tidal wave of <laughs> fecal matter. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, what well, has I, this kid been eating? You know, this, this only happened to me once as well when, when Kira was little and she was, and um, I like, I don't remember the chain of events, but at some point I ended up with a baggie of poo and like, okay, now what? <laughs> Yeah, right. And now you can't flush it. Yeah. You're not going to flush a baggie. Do I seal it and throw it away? Uh, yeah. Super complicated. Yeah. So, yeah, so we were, we were, you know, Erica could not stop laughing. Because, of course, I'm on duty at night, so this is my problem to deal with. So, you know, you know, Cooper's upset and he gets out of the tub and I like, he's like, you know, I, you know, he doesn't know what to, he's, you know, he's upset. So I'm like drying yeah. him off and everything. And all of a sudden he like turns to me, like with his eyes wide open, he goes, I have to tell mommy I pooped in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> so he runs downstairs and all that, you know, you can hear his little feet going down the stairs and then, I, you know, I can't hear anything. I hear some silence and then I hear Erica bust out laughing. <laughs> so, so then she came upstairs and, 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 waddled into my wine glass which then <laughs> ended up inside of the fake cuckoo clock it's it was a it was crazy had a wild night at the stark house yeah man dear listener it's it's lucky we even made it to the recording stage of the evening i can't wait to visit you in october <laughs> <laughs> guess what you'll see when you get here in october Fat Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> you will see Fat Maggie, I'm sure of that. 
but you'll also see my new hue light strips. Oh, Ooh. that's right. Can I Google it now? That is not something for your teeth. <laughs> that's white strips. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, apparently I heard this on another podcast and then Googled it frantically. Yeah. You're, you're going to love it. It's, uh, so long time dear listeners will know that, uh, Philips came out with these LED light bulbs that you just screw into a regular socket and connect to a base station in your house that links to your Wi-Fi. And you can control the on-off settings, the color. You can have them blank. They can all be different colors. Uh, it's They're just totally, totally amazing. And uh, I cannot live without them, having now had them. Like, the fact it drives me... Now that I have them, it drives me crazy that I can't control all my lights from my phone. Yeah. Even just turning them on and off or dimming them would be, it doesn't have to be colors, but not being able to dim your lights from the couch is barbaric. Yes, it really is. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't use the colors that often. I sometimes do at night, but yeah, I've got, usually I've got night mode dimming. and day mode. Right. So they, you know, but these are, these are, there's more or less the shape of an incandescent bulb, but now they came out with two new things that will connect to the base station. One is called Hue light strips, which are like uh, six and a half foot long flexible light strips that, you know, at least in their, their photos, they like run them under a couch or behind a bar, but on top of a bookshelf. And I'm going to like, they're, they're like, I think 80 or 90 bucks, which is definitely pricey. They're, they're all pricey. Yeah. But I have, uh, I actually have a little like bar area that used to have a just plain old white, like Christmas light led strips that have all burned right. out. So, um, unfortunately six feet is way too long for that area. So I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to see what I can do, but, um, definitely getting those. And they also have another thing called, uh, the bloom, which is like a freestanding lamp. And it's a, a very tiny right. directional looking lamp that you just mm. plug into the wall and you can either put it behind uh, you know, a table or whatever and aim it at the wall or use it as a lamp. And uh, I think those are like 80 bucks. And those connect to the base station as well. And how this relates to the podcast is that uh, you can, that, that the base station that all of these lights connect to has an API that you can actually access from the internet like right into your your network yeah so you can do stuff uh to control your lights remotely um based on whatever uh so like a, a common a common recipe is to go to ift ift i always get this wrong ifttt.com yes. if this then that and there are a few recipes for like you can connect to the weather channel and set your lights to change color at sundown in your area, uh, which I haven't done, but I should, because I always do the same thing, which is I turn them on regular white during the day. And then, uh, when it's like a warmer color. Yeah. And then when it's, when it's like night, I, you know, I, I, I move into disco mode. Yeah. And, uh, Cooper absolutely loves it. I also have them connected to, um, have a Wemo motion sensor in the, mm -hmm. in the same room. And I had, I have experimented with setting it up so that when it senses motion, the lights 
you can have him change to a random color. Yeah. So when Cooper has like his little friends over and they're playing down here, that uh, it got a few laughs. <laughs> nice. You know, as they jump around, the lights start changing. <clears throat> nice. Yeah, Kira's Kira's been bugging me for some like, ever since I got mine. So I think I will. Um, I think I'll put some on her on the Christmas list for the kiddo. Yeah, I am collecting. There's some really cool stuff. Like I, <clears throat> I've seen a bunch of items in the last week or two that are great. Great gift ideas. Yeah. I've been making lists of like, oh, this would be perfect for that person. And this would be perfect for that person. And it's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff coming out. Uh, you got something cool on there for me, don't you? You know, I wasn't going to say anything, but since you asked, I actually do. <laughs> I, it's backordered. If it's Christmas, it's still pretty far away. But I was like, I wanted it for myself <laughs> because it's so cool, but I don't actually use this particular item. This is not an item I use, but it is an item you use. Now I'm very curious. So I yes, I want to vicariously enjoy this item through you. So I do, I do, and I, uh, I definitely. I was like, this is, you know, sometimes you just see something, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. this is perfect for that person. Yeah, yeah, I, I do that. So, so no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if if it's uh, if it's delivered. Um, it wouldn't let me give an alternate shipping address, so it has to ship to me, and then I'm, I was planning to ship it to you. But if it's here already in October, I'll give it to you early, and then oh, okay. you can you can uh, choose to exhibit self-control or not. Self-control, what's that? Exactly. That's what I figured. But uh, yes, I'm, you will, I don't think in a million years you'll guess what it is, so it should be a good one. Cool. Yeah, now I'll have to... No, I'm, now I have to have to come up with a, an appropriate response gift. <laughs> nah, it was one of those things. I was like, oh, there's you're like literally the only person I know that that would dig this, and it's perfect for like you know. It's just one of those things. I'm just, so curious now. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't want to, I don't want to overhype it, but I'm pretty sure you're gonna like it. So let's leave that at that. Yeah. Before I lose my self control and just tell you. <laughs> but so just to jump back to the hue light bulbs for one second so the the thing about it is i don't want people to just think this is some silly home automation thing that is for just complete lazy ass people who don't want to get up and change their lights um in the context of the podcast and building apps that run everywhere if you think of the if you think of the overall um concept of say the wemo motion sensor or like weather.com as the as an input, and then you think of the lights as an output, then uh, that I think starts to, I think that is a, a, a real world example of something that uh, not, not a lot of people have, but certainly some people have, that is a, it's computing IO, it's, it's IO, you know, you're taking input from somewhere, Maybe it's physical motion in a room, but it's not keyboard. It's not touchscreen. It's not voice, but it's input. And you're, then you're doing something with it, and you're you're spitting out the result to something else that's also not a screen or not a screen, <laughs> not traditional output, not audio, but it is output, and yes. it is it is it's computing. You know, it doesn't seem like it, but um, you know, I it I had a the reason why I'm I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking about it is because I had a phone call today with a, um, a government agency who wants me to not name them, uh, <laughs> but not the NSA. <laughs> um, a, 
Yeah, so I'm doing a I'm doing a keynote presentation for their annual conference, and 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 I'm giving a talk on this sort of you know death of the touch screen and the next re- revolutionary um, computing devices, and you know it's a sort of futuristic, but at the same time it's got one foot rooted firmly in the present uh, with these sort of future friendly stuff that we talk about all the time, like like you know build APIs, make sure your content is not, is layout agnostic and content, uh, sorry, context agnostic and, you know, start small and, you know, build, build from the most constrained environment that your content or services could reasonably be reasonably consumed on. Yeah. And this is one of the, this is an example of a computing system that takes input and delivers output that is, how would you, what would you call it? It's not, I don't, I hesitate to call it, um, like weak or constrained. It's just different. I don't know. Anyway, so I was having this conversation with people, but they, they, uh, made an interesting distinction. Someone's, I said something about, um, uh, you know, program for the most constrained device you can imagine your, your content being displayed on. So, (laughs) so like, a watch like to me to me right now obviously a smartphone obviously you're, you're going to be building something for smartphones but if you're building a new project that you're going to share your data with people you're creating a user interface for it you're going to be considering a smartphone if you have half a brain yes but can you possibly imagine it on a watch can you possibly imagine it on google glass would would the content be really really useful on a watch or glasses or a heads-up display a ski goggles uh, uh, a push notification. Like, are these, are there other ways that this content will be useful? And if, if the answer is even possibly yes, then start there and work your way up. And so someone challenged me on that and said, well, you know, one of the things that we, that this particular guy was working on right at that moment, he had an, uh, an active project that had to do with, um, uh, visualizing lots of complex data. Mm Mm-hmm and displaying it on a screen. And, and he was like, you know, how would that, and I had just gone through this whole thing of like, you know, ear pods and like Google glass and like, you know, what if there's no screen at all? And he was like, how would I, are you suggesting that I'm supposed to come up with a way to, to represent this complex graphical data, this graph with sound basically. And I was like, no, 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 not that. But, but it, it did force me to think about it and tell me what you think. Tell me if you think I'm off base, but this was my reaction, Okay. which was constraints are good because if you can, if you have no constraints, you just par- paralyze with options. So you do want some constraints because that's where creativity lives. Right. Like within constraints. Right. And, 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 what struck me is that the constraints that I think about now that I feel are valid are the ones that are least likely to change and are therefore usually based on the physical reality of the human body. So like, like a, a something that like the human eye can only see text that's, you know, it's got to be at least like five points or maybe six or seven points for anybody to read it. So 
if if you are if you have this graph that has to be presented as a whole and you can't shrink it down in a way that keeps the text larger than six points let's say then it has to be a bigger display it has to be bigger (laughs) right and we've stumbled across this on uh with with happy docs Mm -hmm. where like the which by the way i did use on my phone the other day um there are use cases that you do want to use it on your phone, but the, the, the issue with happy docs is that a big piece of it is the JSON response objects and, yes. and to render them with proper nesting to make them easy to read is and without wrapping at a text size that is readable. You need a large screen. You need a large screen. So, and that's not a constraint of the screen. That's a constraint of human eyes. Yes. And eyes and, and the brain being able to easily sort out and, and digest the information. Right. So it sounds like that makes sense to you too. So, yes. So I, so I, what I ended up saying uh, sort of off the cuff, but I want to kind of flesh it out is that, is that constraints like that are probably a good thing because they'll, that's where, like I said, that's where creativity comes from. But constraints like that are based on things like uh, existing technology or business rules are mm-hmm. bad, bad, very bad. Right, right. You just need to, you need to think about your constraints more clearly and and just make sure they're well defined and that they're they're really actual constraints, not artificial limitations that you placed on yourself yeah for, for no real reason or yeah or worst of all just plain old assumptions and not constraints at yeah. all so like like a perfect example is uh this organization does not allow bring your own device policy right mm-hmm. now so all they care about is blackberry for internal applications and like that is just screaming at me like don't do not build any infrastructure, which should, I mean, if you're building out infrastructure, it should last you five years at least. Yes. And it is so, I would be willing to bet a thousand dollars that within five to 10 years, <laughs> the company will not be using Blackberries at all, never mind exclusively. Right. So to make a, a, lo- a decision that will have long term repercussions, like how to architect you know, like whether or not to use BlackBerry specific stuff is a gigantic mistake. And I'm not saying that that's what they're advocating, but it's just an example of, of like the kind of constraint that's not really a constraint at all. It's just the current situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you should, you should be building, building an app that should work on, you know, it should work on BlackBerry and anything else, you know, mm. Yeah. So, you know, so I, you know, I'm saying to them, obviously the same thing I always say, which is, you know, build an API, make sure your, your content is free of layout instructions, blah, blah, blah. So, and that, and that made sense to them. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it will resonate its way through the organization. (laughs) That'd be refreshing. Yeah, it would. Like, Oh, but I wanted, I just want to make an iPhone app. Like just making an iPhone app without making the necessary changes behind the scenes is like playing air guitar. (laughs) 
it's like that i like had this sudden flash last night i was trying to like come up with an analogy for just make like just just like a marketing department creating like a back to school iphone app it's such a waste of money and time and damaging to the brand to create this crappy app that doesn't link to anything and only works on one device yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't even tie into their POS, it doesn't tie into the loyalty system, it doesn't doesn't tie into anything. It's just a it's just a banner advertisement in the app store. Right. Yeah, I kinda I kinda feel like if you're building something that only works in one place like if you're building something that only works on an iPhone, it's not like, well now you're suddenly reaching iPhone users whereas you weren't before. It's that okay, now you're pissing off all the Android users. <laughs> <laughs> And probably the iPhone users too. <laughs> so I had a I had an interesting conversation um, recently about this, and and the there was sort of a, an iOS advocate guy who was we might have talked about this already, but um, he was like, "Well, you know, you're web dude, and you realize that speed matters, right? Like milliseconds matter." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah of I course, yeah. yeah, we did talk about this." And he was like, well, why don't milliseconds matter in the UI? And I was like, touche. <laughs> but, but it's the, a trade-off. It is a trade-off. And it depends on it depends on a lot of factors. So, like, you know, time to market, uh, size of market that you need, you know, is is the nature of the application something that, that benefits from network effects? You know, are, is there already tons of composition? This, like, are you building a weather app or a flashlight app? You know... You, you need to do something or to do app, you need to do something really, really different and compelling. And, and it might, you know, the scroll friction could make the difference between yeah. picking one or the other. Oh man. So it, this might be a good segue into, um, fat Maggie. Okay. So as with her first pregnancy, Erica, uh, was diagnosed with gestational diabetes with the second one. Which is no big deal, uh, but it is really annoying because you have to, um, you know, keep track of everything you eat, and then four times a day you have to prick your finger with this this tool that then the um, lancet. Yes, thing. the little the little like parent. Yeah, spring loaded. Spring loaded thing, yes. Uh, which you then <laughs> stick into a a little battery powered thing that that does a blood test on you which is kind of impressive when you think about it yeah the little little glucometer yeah exactly yeah sounds like you know yes so she looked around for um she's she's an iphone user she looked around for Mm -hmm. an iphone app that would track these numbers and she couldn't find one there there were ones that either track the carbs that you're, you know, instead of tracking calories, they track carbs. So you put in your food that you ate and when you ate it and it tracks the carbs. And then there's other applications where you actually put in your glucose readings. Yeah. And that doesn't really work because she wanted to, and she needs to, you know, well, yeah. So she needs to know like, okay, I don't, I don't just want to know that yesterday I had like a turkey sandwich. I want to know that yesterday at this particular time I had a turkey sandwich. And then two hours later when I did this reading, my numbers were higher than they were the day before when I, when I had a salad or whatever. Right. She wants, wants to be able to see the correlation between carbohydrates eaten and the effect on the blood, on her blood sugar. Exactly. So uh, what I'm slowly building up to is that I have a confession to make. Mm-hmm. 
which is that I built this for her, but I did it in the most god-awful php spaghetti code way you can imagine (laughs) but there's a silver lining you're gonna have me redo it well there's two there's sort of i I think there's three takeaways so first uh time to market was massively important because she only needs to do this for like four weeks and then and then she's you know what i mean it like and she needed to start it immediately. So it had to be something that I could literally do in two hours. So, so you know, that's kind of like a crazy, n- not normal situation, but it wasn't like, I would still be reading documentation about Rails if I, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm yeah, like, just, like I could have, I could have done it in two hours. You could, I couldn't, you right, yeah. right. And maybe next year I could have, but right now I couldn't. So I was like, okay. So, uh, and she was going to, it was like literally the next morning she was going to start tracking numbers in something. And yeah. I'm sure if I wasn't done with it, then she would have tracked them in something else. And that would have been that. Yeah. Um, the other, that's so that's one thing. So the other takeaway, the second takeaway is that having, uh, I think at this point it's fair to say that I've internalized the concept of rails or the organizational structure of a rails application mm-hmm. and having that made me write, I said spaghetti code, but it's really not. It's much, much better than what I would have done previously. I, I found that when I went back to PHP after doing some Rails development too, just the, the things that I had learned with Rails made me a better, just better developer overall and it kind of carried over to the PHP work. Yep, absolutely. So it's very similar to the kind of stuff I, I would have done before, but it was more, it's more templatey. I separated the logic uh, from the templates a lot more than I would have previously. I, I created like views, like true views. Um, my URLs are ugly, of course. I didn't bother with like cleaning up the URLs, but but I used the sort of sort of seven verbs or whatever you want to call right. them from Rails. Like the like, and this always I always struggled with this in the past, and came crystal clear with Rails is the the sort of difference between new and create and edit and update Mm -hmm. and having that sort of like solved for me, or I shouldn't say solved, but resolved for me made it incredibly easy. I like cranked out the sort of scaffold of the thing really quickly, not on the command line. I just like cranked out like, okay, these are all, these are all the things I'm going to need. I'm sure of it. Like, I know these are all the things I'm going to need. These are the templates and, you know, uh, essentially the views. And this is, um, it was just it just made it a lot easier uh, and a lot more organized. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, like for Carnella, the thing doesn't even have a login. I mean, it's it's just like it's just like straight up interface to a, a, a MySQL database, you know, so she can enter. Yeah, I, I started saying, do you actually have a MySQL database, or is everything just like like local storage, and then you just save things to your home screen? So I would have done. I, I thought about that, but. The reason I didn't do it is because uh, she has to output the numbers for her doctor. Ah. And I was afraid that she would like clear her, like do something and, and throw it all away. So that was not an option. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that I have, uh, actually tonight I added one line of JavaScript to the entire thing. But right now the entire thing is JavaScript less. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, did everything that you can do from a pure HTML, CSS, 
no JavaScript standpoint to make the thing screaming fast. And uh, it's really, it, it's super low tech and um, extremely effective. And so, the, and that leads me up to the, the third takeaway, which is that, you know, with it, you know, initially two hours and maybe another 90 minutes of tweaking here and there based on her feedback, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I basically spent three or four hours and prototyped a working application, which you could then turn around and say like, okay, you know, this is, this is the way the screens need to look. Like it would have taken me that long to do it in Keynote or something. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So now you can take this working prototype and turn it around and, and build a build an application and support multiple users or multiple clients and whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's um, I don't know. I and I, I think this it will be. It's really simple. Obviously, I mean it's basically two tables. It'll be three tables if I add people to it, and. Uh, it's a good, it's a good, like, um, rails probably, and you know, for me trying to, trying to like get to the point where I could have written it in rails in two hours, Yeah, which I'm sure you could have. So it, it's, <laughs> it's possible, but, uh, I don't know. So, so three, I think those are the, those are the three big things about, uh, fat Maggie <laughs> that, uh, that I learned. So I don't feel, so I guess that I'm, I'm kind of rationalizing why I shouldn't feel bad about PHP because it's, it's, it was really, it wasn't, it was more of a prototyping tool. It was, it's, yeah. I don't even feel like I built an application. I built a prototype. <laughs> well, you needed to get, you needed to get it done quickly and you went with the language that you know better and you know, <laughs> that's perfectly valid. Mm. Yeah. It was a, a unusual situation to be sure, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So look for Fat Maggie in an app store near you soon. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is going on these days? Um, I understand Bootstrap still sucks. Yeah, I was working on a Bootstrap project, ish. <laughs> yeah. And um, I thought, you know, okay, I'll give Bootstrap three a try. Maybe it's got maybe it's gotten a lot better. It's supposed to be mobile first. <laughs> It may be. I can't really tell the difference. <laughs> I just know that I create a, I create an unordered list with a class name, and then I still have to give every list item inside of that that list its own class name as well. Mm. It does seem a little over the top. Yeah. And how- yeah, and it still it still feels just like tables because there's so much nesting of divs and. So you've yes. got div soup and class soup. Yeah. Mm. I don't just, know. I'm just not a fan. Yeah, no, I know. We were like sort of chatting about this today over I am and and there's I don't know, there there's an interesting thing going on. I this has probably been solved by someone who's more into CSS than me or maybe you, but there's there's an interesting sort of tension between the abstraction between HTML and CSS, which, so, so they're supposed to be disconnected, right? Yeah. Like your HTML is supposed to be the data, if you will, that's the markup is like the document. And then the styling is supposed to be separate. But mm-hmm. if the, 
if if you have selectors that are like header right arrow ul right arrow li right arrow a dot like nav you know and nav is in there somewhere and yeah you're looking at a style sheet that's that that has these long very specific selectors they're clean in that you didn't have to do anything in the html to make uh you didn't have to add class names to the the html or, or hardly any class names to the html and you you can get very specific in the css but it, the css is like tightly bound to the specific nesting of the html yes which i think is what Bootstrap is trying to avoid. I just think they carried it to an extreme. Mm-hmm. I think you can stop at like the widget level, you know. Right. Yeah, and that's and that's why I, I suggested you take a look at Smacks. Yeah, that looks interesting. I've yeah, been slowly so, picking through it. Yeah, so Jonathan Snook, uh, who has tons of experience on really really big um, design, you know, web design projects has this, I, I can't do it justice, so you just have to like, you know, look in the show notes or Google Smacks. And, it, you know, he's he's in a situation, he, let's see, who, where was he? Was he at Yahoo? I think he was. Uh, he's did a couple, it might've been Yahoo, Twitter and GitHub, or he's worked at some on some really big projects. Mm-hmm. And it's in situations where lots of people, lots of teams, not even the same teams, but like different people on different teams are trying to reuse widgets and reuse CSS. And and <clears throat> when the CSS is too heavily dependent on the specific HTML for a given page, it just breaks like crazy. So he came up with a way that kind of walks the line between class soup and divitis and but at the same time creates like a really modular way to write CSS uh, in an organized fashion that allows you to take a chunk of HTML. You don't even, it's like you can change the chunk of HTML as long as the class names are the same. Yeah. So it, it, so like this happens to me a lot where I'm like, I yeah, created, me too. Yeah, right? Because I think it's because of the way we approach it, which I think we both do the same thing, which is first we write semantic HTML, and then we write the CSS. But the thing is, the CSS is probably going to get reused, or not probably, but could get reused on different HTML. Mm-hmm. Or we might want it to. So let's say so, we have a situation. What were you going to say? So, I said, so then it's going to get reused, and but then there's subtle changes, so then you end up adding classes at that point. So we kind of, I think we both in the past have, have tended to approach it of create your markup, start writing your CSS, add IDs and classes as needed. Right. Yeah. It's happened to me plenty of times that I've, you know, you just like something changes in your, because just these sites, they don't, they never freeze. They're like, you launch it and it just constantly evolves after that. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got input, marketing department wants to change this, wants to change that, move things around. And having your source order in the right order is really important because it has lots of performance benefits. If you're trying to like reorganize your whole page with JavaScript or CSS and and present it in a way that is completely unrelated to the source order in HTML, you're going to have a big job ahead of you. Yeah. And so it's very helpful to keep the underlying page in its sort of natural, its natural best state. And that sometimes that means rejiggering the markup and 
you do, you want you don't want the CSS to just like completely fail when you do that. And having deep nesting, which uh, seems like a smart idea when you're doing it to you know to get that specificity like right down to mm -hmm. the like first li in a ul in a navigation header for example you know if you change a subtle thing and all of a sudden that all breaks then it's really hard it's kind of a nightmare to fix and do so in a way that's dry at all it is and i think the tendency to write deeply nested css it's a lot easier to tend to do that if you're using something like less or SAS. Oh, totally. Because yeah. it makes it so easy. But, um, I, and that was something that I recently went back and re-examined myself. Like, I found myself nesting things that, like, well, you know, this, this doesn't really need to be nested. <laughs> mm. You know, it should be, it should be pulled out. It should be separate. It should be able to work outside of this particular parent container that it happens to be in at, at this point you know at, at this specific moment mm. and so i find myself kind of approaching it more more of a widget like approach now right yeah it's like i'm like i'm building small widgets that that are then coming together with some sort of with some sort of separate bit of layout css mm -hmm. yeah so if you think of a uh rest style architecture which we don't i don't think we've ever talked about but um it's sort of short for responsive server side, mm -hmm. which is the concept of returning different HTML based on the viewport size or some other feature sniffing. Right. Um, so in a situation like that, you could return different CSS as well, but you know, that's just a lot of work, you know, like, like if, if you've got a calendar widget that would work perfectly on mobile or desktop or a watch or whatever, you don't want to have the same, you don't want that CSS duplicated in two different style sheets just because your HTML is nested differently. Right. So there's, it, you know, but, you know, we, we talked about it today probably for a half an hour. It's like basically boils down to a balance between the two, but um, it's something that I haven't thought about much until recently, although now that we're thinking about it, I realize I've had this problem for a while, which is that my CSS in general is too tightly bound to my HTML markup structure. Yeah. Yeah, and it, like you said, it, it's just, it's balanced because if you go too far the other way, which I think Bootstrap does in a lot of cases, then it just, it's a it's a, a headache and it makes your markup hard to read because there's classes everywhere and there's, um, it just, I, I just think they take it too far. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was I was recently talking to uh, Brian LaRue, who's at Adobe now, and is one of the original guys on PhoneGap. And he's working on a project, uh, Adobe project called Topcoat, which is at topcoat.io. Mm -hmm. And it is a sort of a response to the fact that people, you know, they're seeing people include Bootstrap just for the button styles. Yeah. And you're downloading like a meg of CSS. Yeah. Which is, I mean, obviously that's asinine. <laughs> you know, if you care about performance at all, that's just ridiculous. So um, they are off on this very interesting um, crusade, if you will, of benchmarking CSS and and 
you know, making decisions about what to include and what not to include in the framework, if you want to call it that, based on the cost, the performance cost. Mm -hmm. And so not to, this is going to be a ramble cast, right? We're just going to jump, right? So this touches on one of the other things that we have in our bullet points, um, which is the entertainment weekly mobile site started to go live. Half of it went live this week. And in the sort of the final throes of getting the galleries working, which is the piece I worked on, uh, like Kindle Fire, the original Kindle Fire, some iPads, the browser would just crash, like just mm-hmm. quit unexpectedly when you were, you'd launch a gallery, which is not good. <laughs> yeah, unless you were, unless you were looking at, at uh, photos of Miley Cyrus from the VMAs. <laughs> it made no sense that it would just crash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was my thought exactly. <laughs> and in fact, that was the day it went live. Yeah. Uh, it was the Miley, Miley Cyrus twerking day. So, you know, th- the thing was, we handed off a bunch of code to the, I- the people who implemented it, uh, who are great, by the way. And, uh, it was working great all over the place, tested it and all the, all, on all the usual suspects. But part of the implementation that we did not have to deal with was inserting interstitial ads into the gallery. And uh, we also did not have to deal with analytics. We didn't have to deal with any kind of tracking or, um, or anything. So, you know, now the code's crashing. The, the, like browsers cry. That's pretty bad. You know, it's yeah. supposed to be like progressive enhanced kind of yeah, experience. It's pretty extreme. And an iPad browser is crashing. So, so they're like, can you guys take a look at this? So uh, I go in and my initial, you know, so I go in and there's, uh, I don't want to exaggerate. I think, I think there were 29 JavaScript files included. <laughs> And, you know, three of them were ones that I had included. So we were using Modernizer, uh, jQuery, because we had to use jQuery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the app. And and then JavaScript. The, the app JavaScript. Yeah, yeah, so there was like three. And there was also, um, uh, there was a font library JavaScript that was included too. I can't remember which one we used. So there were four JavaScript files that we had included. And then there were like 25 more after that. And, you know, it was everything from crying out loud. I don't know. It was like discuss and overture and, you know, go, you know, you can look at the source code if you want. It's m.ew.com. So I immediately suspected the JavaScript. I'm like, we're making too many requests. Who knows how big these files are? Who knows what they're trying to do? Um, so I tore them all out and, uh, and it was still crashing. So I was like, God, CSS. it's gotta be the CSS. And sure enough, um, I, I ran, the, I, I turned the CSS off and left all the JavaScript on <laughs> and, uh, pat myself on the back. It still worked. It didn't look as nice, but it did work and, uh, it worked fine. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, um, uh, I basically it, it just started, CSS. yeah, I basically just started taking the, I started making guesses about what I thought was the scariest CSS. And yeah. uh, things that would have been freaking the browser out. So things that, you know, anything that was had opacity, translucence, um, transforms, transitions, all that stuff. So what we ended up doing was turning off animations. So 
so there's there's sort of two kinds of animation that happen in the gallery. One is that uh, uh, just the actual slide animation from slide to slide. So if you hit the next button, the slides slide over mm-hmm. visibly, and that's sort of that's the actual animation. But there's also the sticky finger feature where you can swipe across the screen and the 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 image sort of your finger yeah as you're swiping instead of after you swiped yeah and i basically turned off those two things all the crashing went away and it was it was literally it wasn't the swipe though like i still you you can still swipe to switch slides they just Mm -hmm. don't animate they just snap to the next slide right Uh, so that was an incredibly long story to uh to kind of wind back to the the uh, bootstrap conversation of, you know, including a meg of JavaScript, sorry, a meg of CSS is, is not potentially not just a performance penalty, but is really detrimental to your accessibility potentially, you know, like an old browser is just not, not going to chug through that. Right. It's not going to be able to handle it. Yeah. I mean, I went to a, I went to a site today. You know, I'm on my laptop, but it was tethered over my phone, and it was a Time Inc. page, and I I quit. I just closed the browser window after a minute and a half of waiting for more than five megabytes of stuff to load. It was like a it was a static page. It, yeah. it was basically it should have been a static page, but it had like, you know, just just had too much going on. I just want to read this page. <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you stop with the the parallax and the gigantic images? And I just want to read this article. I want to have it read to me. There you go. Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> so, spoken API went live this week. Yes, it did. Was it this? It was this week, right? It was. It was Monday. Very. Or no, very... it was Sunday night. Well, no. <laughs> it was late. That's for sure. Yeah, it was late five in the morning it was so late that it was early yeah so we've talked about spoken before this is the uh, sort of a app we conceived that uh converts text page the the text of the web into audio read by real life humans in every language um sort of want to make these recordings freely available for anyone to listen to um web pages so save yes. save your web pages for later, and you get it magically turns into a podcast. And you know, took this was a, this was definitely a serious application. So this was um, took the API first approach, and um, yeah, I mean uh, Kelly, you wrote the whole thing, so you know, just totally nailed it. But and then at the end, Thank I you. noticed you know, a couple of things at the end were pretty interesting because unlike I think. I think this is the first API that I've been involved with that accepted binary files. I think it is, yes. Have you done one before? Um, I want to say yes, but I I feel like I have, but I'm not. Oh, 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 yes, yes, I did, but I don't. I did, but I don't know that it's that it's gone live. It hasn't gone live yet. So. I gotcha. So this was this was super interesting to me, and maybe the dear listeners in the same situation. But I was like, how do you how do you do that? Like to me, an API, like a REST API, is so 
text-based in my mind that I couldn't even conceive of how this would work. <laughs> like how, how, when you break this down to like a command line, well, a single command line post to the, you know, yeah. to the API, how the heck do you do that? Yeah, you were like, how do I how do I post audio files to the API? And I was just like, uh, um. Yeah, you had to search too, right? Uh, well, <laughs> it turns out there's this magic at symbol. Yes, the mag- magic at. The magic at. <laughs> magic hat is a delicious beer, by the way, for anyone who's into delicious beer. Yes. I could go for a delicious beer right now. <laughs> yes, in your octa. Pint. In my octopint classes, yes. So, hey, there's a Christmas present. Yeah. Hint, hint. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, this is this is something we'll probably link. We, yeah, we can definitely link to it in the show notes because um, we sort of went back and forth and googled and googled and came up with some command line curl examples of how to how you sh- how, how this is done. And right. there is literally like this magic at symbol where if you if you send in a parameter with the uh, you know space minus capital F audio equals normally you would put in like you know quotes foo or whatever but instead of that you put at symbol and then path to file yeah and uh, it it. Uh, it works like a charm, although the API did kind of choked on it at first a little bit. But um, yeah, so what? I, I'm sort of bleary on exactly what happened. Can you? Yeah, because it was it was late. Yeah. I shall I shall attempt to elaborate. Uh, what was happening was we were sending an audio file, but the um, curl was not. I don't know if it's not sophisticated enough. Feels like it might be the wrong wrong thing to say, or simply that it just doesn't. Um, read the content headers of that file and and pass those along. Uh, it defaults to sending it at as um, octet stream, which is just like the, the default binary data format. Oh, so, so wait, that reminds me. Okay, so so one of the a lot of the examples that you'll see, dear listener, if you if you Google around for this kind of thing, is that you can pass this parameter that's like dash dash data dash binary, mm-hmm. and then pass it a file name but or a file path on your local hard drive but that's but that's not a named parameter it's, right, it's right, just right. a raw post data which i've worked with in the past in php applications where you just you just want this that's how i've done it in the past is that you just get this yeah. raw binary stream uh, but we couldn't do that because you have to pass like a page id and that's text and you have to pass um potentially notes potentially a person id but also a, a file but named so that the yes. application knows what to call it or, or how to grab it, I guess. Yes, that's that's a good point. And the dash dash capital F is basically simulates like a like a form submission. Exactly. Yeah. So so yeah, that was that was the problem was that when that on 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 our end of things, on the client end of things, the proper content type headers were not getting posted uh, to the API. So, uh, as it turns out, what you can do is after you do your at symbol and then the path to your file name, you can do like a semicolon and then type equals and you can pass the content header that way. Right, which allows you to specify it for a specific one of the... Yes. Of the things. I wonder what, so now I, I thought to do this at the time, but we figured it out before I had to resort to this, 
but um, uh, a, a normal file upload form in a web browser, when you have to set that like uh, ENC type multi-part. Encoding type, yeah, multi-part form data, yeah. Right. <clears throat> what I was thinking of doing was quickly mocking one of those up and then network sniffing and seeing what it used, like how hit or what headers it used because uh, it, it must do the same thing. You would think it would is doing the same thing or something similar. But regard, regardless, you figured it out, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I found a way to the, the paperclip, Jim, that I'm using for file uploads. You can, you can sort of force, if, if there's no, if there's no MIME type specified, or it comes into the wrong, the wrong MIME type, you know, you can, you can force it to, to something else when you send it to uh, S3. But, yeah, the, the best solution really is to uh, use that type parameter in your curl request and make sure you're, you're passing the right MIME type to the server. Well, which the, then that, that requires that you know it. And <laughs> So is that yeah. two different things, though? Because, and, and maybe I'm just totally confused, but there's, the, there's our sort of, our EC2 server where the API is hosted. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's where the Rails app is. <clears throat> Or wait, my space. Yeah, it's a Rails API, right? So, yeah. Um, when the when the um, there's some validation that I think is paperclip mm-hmm. validation that mm-hmm. says you know only accept these kinds of file types. So we have to get it to there with yes. the right MIME type. With the right MIME type, yes. And then when we and then when it goes, and then the second step is to save it to S3. And, and yes. when it was getting saved to S3, it was just this application octet type, which when you visit the URL in a browser, it downloads instead of playing it right in the browser. Right. Well, when, we're, when we were sending it from curl the way we were doing it without specifying a type, then it comes into the Rails application as, as octet stream. Right. And, and so you're saying it was just passing that, it was just forwarding that? And it was just forwarding that to, to S3, yeah. So... There was a there were some times when I was trying the curl um, when it when it was just returning nothing that so were we ever having a I, I assumed that we were having a validation problem in the Rails app but maybe that was just my mistake like did were we having a validation issue like we, how does that we work we were having we were having a validation issue because Octet Stream was not among the file types I was allowing because it's a <laughs> it's kind of dangerous when you start doing that because that's that format can be used for any binary file and what we ended up doing for this initial version um, were just anything that comes in that doesn't have like audio MPEG or, or audio MP3 or a mind type like that specified we're just we're just converting we're just sending it along to S3 storing it as um, uh, audio MPEG Right. And so, like, for now, the concept is that um, we'll only accept MP3s, but eventually what I'd like to do is accept any kind of audio format and convert it in the yeah. Rails app. Yeah, I I feel like converting it in the Rails app isn't isn't the right thing to do. I feel like the, the right thing to do is to pass the right MIME type when you make the request. Ye, well, yeah, but I want I want everything on S3 to end up being MP3s. Oh, I see what you mean. Right. So if so, if somebody is passing, do some do some actual audio conversion. It precisely processing. Yeah, because yeah, like yeah, I see. waves, like MP3 is the universal audio format, basically. Yeah. Uh, so, if 
if you have to pick one, then that's the one to pick. And uh, we actually, this has been a discussion actually a little bit in the, in the beta tester list. And um, one of the guys in the beta tester list actually has an Android podcatcher application that's pretty popular. And he was like, MP3s, dude. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, that was a great segue, by the way. Nice work. Yeah. <laughs> we have we've covered almost everything on our grab bag list. We have. The only thing we didn't touch on is the MailChimp API, which is very, very, uh, very easy to skip at this point because we have... Okay. <laughs> we have done it. Like uh, the I I put it on the list because I've been doing some work with the Mailchimp API lately, and and yes. if if the campaign monitor guys are listening, I love you guys. Uh, but Mailchimp has a really good API that <laughs> one of my clients is using, so I have to uh, I have to learn it. Um, big fan of Mailchimp. Big fan of campaign monitor. Uh, Mailchimp API is extremely cool. And it's good. It was, I was afraid it would be a complaint about the API. No, not at all. Quite the opposite. That's good. Uh, it's just like every every possible library you can imagine um, is uh, sorry wrapper. Uh, sorry, every possible wrapper yeah. l- language that you can think of, including Lasso and FileMaker, wow. are in there. <laughs> I mean, these uh, they must be FileMaker dudes to have. Yeah, because no there. one thinks of that unless they are. Who would think of that? Yeah. So, uh, very impressive, very complete, very uh, available, um, really, really nice. And it, it's just, I, really, my takeaway is, is um, that back in the day, I wrote, I had to write a program that parsed email. So, incoming email from... Oh, that's, the, that's the hardest thing ever. It's the worst and I've written they're all different. Every mail client is different. They're not, it's not it even, different. it's not even yeah. just that. It's like, it's, it, it's, uh, yes, it's different. It's, I mean, sign, it's, people send in, it's not just the clients. It's like Outlook does one thing. Gmail right, does right. another thing. That's what I meant. Thing. That's what I meant. But yeah. everybody's got signatures and I'm trying to parse images out of the, out of the email. If you're submitting images, like, but which image is the image? Inline is it image? And, yeah. It's unbelievably yeah. difficult. Yeah, we've done a lot of a lot of mail parsing for um, OS Ticket and support system, and yeah, it's it's it's, no, it's ridiculous. It's no joke. It is yeah. no joke. It's a great feature. It's like Basecamp has this feature, and it's awesome. But it it is a major undertaking. It is. And so so the the and I've I've written screen scrapers too. I've plenty of them. You know where you screen go. Screen scraping is a lot easier than email parsing. It is definitely. But uh, it's still it's still gross. Yeah. And when I, I'm just working more, obviously we're talking about APIs all the time. But I am I am literally working with them more than ever, and integrating different services through IFTTT and and you know we're trying to get spoken added to IFT, you know, and, yeah. and just so we don't have to integrate with. Uh, individual applications like Pushover or Tasker or um, uh, Instapaper or, it, you know, who wants to integrate with that? Just like this is going to be a service for, you know, for very geek, heavy geeks first. They can figure out Ift, you know, yeah. and, like, and if we have that, we have integration with everything right off the bat. And then we can do onesie twosies off the, off, off of that. Right. But, uh, you know, it's like, it's just so great. 
<laughs> it's, it's like obviously I should say that like we're always talking about how great APIs are, but but just been programming against them a lot lately, and it's freaking awesome. It is yes. In fact, I just the other day uh, had to set up a an old school situation where somebody FTPs a folder of images to me that has an Excel spreadsheet inside that has metadata about the images. Wow. Yeah. I think I know what this is for, but wow. <laughs> wow. And it's and the reason why is because the reason why I didn't push back on it is because it's, you know, what's the, what's the least amount of work the person who has the images can do. So we yeah. had a phone call and we're like, what's the easiest possible way you can get me this data? And they're like, well, FTP. And I was like, all right, we'll set up an FTP server. You just drop some files in a, a named folder and we'll figure it out from there. You're done. Yeah. You know, very easy for them to work that into their workflow. And so then I'm like, it literally, it's like a time machine back to <laughs> 2003. Yeah. And I'm like Googling the, I'm searching around for. I'm trying to figure out how to set up an FTP server. Oh God! Don't even, yeah, I haven't even done that part yeah. yet. I'm just I'm like I'm like how do I? We're like, can we use Dropbox? <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, but, yeah. Wouldn't Dropbox be easier? And I, it no, not they were more comfortable with FTP. So, mm. and I was like, I'm googling for uh, XLS to CSV. because I'm, it's literally an XLS file, like an Excel ah, file. So it's like actual. complete mess. Yeah. Like you're not parsing the text of it. And, you know, and so all the pages I'm getting are like from 2007. <laughs> <laughs> but there's plenty of them. And there's a million ways to do it. Like Ruby's got a bunch of gems that do it and uh, something called Rue. And uh, I think, I guess it stands for Ruby Open Office or something. And, and there's Node even has some, some uh, stuff yeah. for it. So there's plenty of ways to do it. But um, it's just so. It's just so funny. Uh, I want to. I almost said how far we've come, but there's still a long way to go. But e even just how how many APIs there are now, and how comfortable people are when you get in a phone call with like another company, and it's like, well, you know, what if we just provide an API for you? And I kind of like crunch my eyes up, like, please God, please say yes. We want you to just provide an API, you know? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that'd be perfect. And I'm like, sweet, my kind of people. Yeah. It, you know, you know, you're in trouble if they're like, oh, could you just FTP the files to us? Yeah. So let, let me paste these screenshots in my Word document <laughs> and then email it to you. Yeah. So it's, it's huge. It's a huge big deal. The moral of the story is that for the foreseeable future, probably for the rest of my lifetime, uh, flexibility is going to be way more important than optimization. And that means simple APIs, people. Yes. So, wow. I think we did it. I think we did. Yeah. Man, I wonder what I'm getting for Christmas now. <laughs> I've, I really, I think, I'm kind of jealous, actually. <laughs> because I'm like, I wish I used this sort of a thing. <laughs> because I think this is the coolest one I've ever seen. <laughs> you know? But I don't, so. So I that's that's been... your clue. So you can you wow. can think and think, think, like, thunk. What, what do I use that John doesn't? Exactly. So Unless you you're can... getting me an e tampon, I don't know. 
That's not it. <laughs> I know that comes as a shock. <laughs> I'm glad that's not it. <laughs> it's the it's the uh, the iPad. Oh God. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's Sometimes not... late at night, my filter, my my brain mouth filter stops working. <laughs> so yeah, it's not that, but uh, uh, I feel like I've said too much already. Okay, it's it's guessable. I've given you enough information to guess it. Okay, I will. I will. Um, I'll stop. Stop pestering you for more hints then. All right. No. No. You can guess. You can keep guessing. Well, not right now. Like we should, we could guess back and forth on Twitter. Yeah, I will. I will think That'll it over. Funny. Okay. And with that, I think we can say that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we do hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>